Hello and welcome to the podcast channel What If Education. If you're tuning into this podcast for the first time and missed the previous two, here is a short introduction. My name is Monica Theron and in this three-part series we'll be discussing what education could be like in 2030. The goal of this podcast is to paint an ideal picture as to how the guest speakers see the future of education 10 years from now. As in the previous two podcasts, I'll be interviewing one teacher and one student, following the same basic storyline to see if there's a pattern or difference of opinion in the conversations we'll be having. This is episode three. Welcome and thank you for joining me today on this extraordinarily hot day. Um, I'm joined by Marcelo Gomez Moreira, who's a researcher and designer, as well as a teacher at the Leiden Institute of Advanced Computer Science and a PhD candidate at Leiden University. Our student today is Juliet van der Laarsen, who I would say has so many courses up her sleeve that I think uh, it's easier if she just tells us what she's passionate about and also what she's currently working on. So let's just begin. Mara, please, can you let the listeners know who you are and what you do? Um, so I'm at Leiden University because I'm teaching there. I am also a PhD student there, hopefully only until April. That's my my goal, at least, to, to um, graduate then. Um, at Leiden University, I'm teaching three courses. That's uh, Introduction to Game Making, so video games. Um, it's also uh, creative programming, which is kind of like an introductory course into programming languages and also um, what's called the interdisciplinary hackathon, which um, is a bit hard to describe, which perhaps is already audible for the, to the, for the course title, um, which is kind of in a process every year, I guess, of figuring out what exactly it is. But uh, at the end, somehow people come up with interesting uh, interactivities and often usually game related things. So. Generally, my, my background is in games, in video games. It's um, what I came to the Netherlands for. I studied at uh, NHTV. Now it's the uh, Breda University of Applied Sciences, which has a fairly um, comprehensive video game uh, education track there. And I started there as a well, graphic designer. It's a bit difficult to say. Visual artist It was the track called. So visual art in video games. Uh, and from there, I became a bit more interested in actually game design, so how how are rules created for games? Um, how do you test games? Um, how do you make games in a way that, um, well, I would say often it's the it's a, a question about how do you make games enjoyable, but I'm very interested in how do you create emotions? How do you uh, make people feel something? And it's not necessarily always, enjoyment is a very difficult uh, thing to construct. Sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's fear, uh, and the whole package comes together in experience, hopefully. Uh, but from there on, I kind of, um, moved more into research, research of video games, um, and maybe also a bit more into the direction of how can video games be used uh, to to create educational games, but also research games. So the interesting thing that in research, especially in psychology research, a lot of what I would say tasks are, are really kind of games or like um, little make-believe scenarios. Uh, and I have a strong belief that this is where video games uh, could shine quite a bit. Um, yeah, uh, COVID was a... Well, I imagine for most people a very strange um, situation, but I feel also one that kind of ties quite in a bit into our discussion today, I hope, in 2030, because um, I think it has helped to to change quite a bit in how I think about the future. Um, 
maybe also the last couple of years did the my my more naive past self of believing that progress is always coming has been shaken <laughs> to a certain extent both when it comes to technology or political systems or rights um so every year i'm 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 trying to to find myself again into what i believe about the future and it's going to be interesting um what we're going to discuss but um definitely my my perspective of today is very much different than how it would have been 10 years ago awesome great and juliette um and uh yeah so i started with studying game development and i focus on educational games as well and i along the way i sort of ended up at line university because i wanted to learn more asian languages because of course the game industry is really big there um, so I studied uh, Korea studies and then I did a bunch of other courses and programs and just a combination of a lot of stuff. And I'm currently, besides um, studying at Light University part-time at the moment, um, I'm also working on my startup and we are building or developing an educational game that teaches physics to children. So that's what I'm working on. And uh, yeah, I, th I agree with the fact that I think emotions in games is very interesting and um, from my perspective what I think is most interesting there is that if you go to a traditional class you just have to sort of listen to the teacher and it's quite passive but um, in games you have the chance to really evoke emotions and interest from your players. So that is one of the reasons why I believe that games and education should just go hand in hand. Um, so yeah, I think that is my background. <laughs> I I um, find it also really strange that, I don't know if you had the same experience, but games were always a part of it in, in primary school and high school to kind of educate students. So I find it really strange that throughout all our life, we are taught that way. And then as soon as you hit like college or university, it kind of like go disappears. and. I, I, I wonder where that comes from. Where did that mentality switch happen? Because, you know, you, you're not mentally ready yet in your brain. I mean, at least from the way you, you act and whatever, you're still like very young. How is it possible that, that the universities have decided now this is the, now you have to grow up and we, this is, this is how we're going to educate now. It's, it's really, it's strange. And I'm hoping that, um, through these podcasts and, and of course, uh, all kinds of uh, VR and AR games and whatever you have that, that we can start changing um, the university's outlook a little bit as well. Do you, do you want to add to that? Do you, have, do you have an opinion about that? I think uh, my opinion is that it's actually a, a result of convenience. I, I don't think that uh, um, education traditionally has been very far away from games. I mean, whether we call them games or not, I think we call them maybe then simulations or make-believe scenarios or um, this whole idea of, uh, and I'm not sure, I'm not I'm not very uh, educated in that part, but to what extent war games tie into that. But I think there's a lot of uh, playful um, approaches to, uh, to learning and education uh, that have been part in the past. And I think to a big extent, the reason why that has changed is actually... Uh, because uh, the amount of students have grown, meaning that universities have had to deal with a situation of not so much of what is best for education, but how can we get 
how can we get uh, uh, how can we produce students so to speak or how can we produce graduates and i think that is uh, that makes it on the one hand maybe sad to think about this well but the positive way is that um I don't think that there's as much of a plan behind it. I think this is a result of, of circumstances rather than the decision factor of saying like, we do not want to have um, experimentation. And I'm using experimentation and playful approaches kind of hand in hand here. But I, I don't think there's somehow a, a, a dislike for it. I think it became, it got out of fashion. And then over the last couple of years slash decades, it became synonymous for this is not done at universities. But I don't think this is something that, is somehow not compatible with universities as a system. And I would argue stuff like um, uh, study societies, for example, to a certain extent, are part of a culture, right? And that culture, in a way, is very much also kind of like a role-playing kind of scenario. I mean, the whole idea of having certain kind of initiation rituals, having certain kind of general rituals surrounding graduation also, are very playful on some level as well. So I don't think it's so incompatible. It's just something that we have to kind of see how we can make space for it. But I'm fairly optimistic about that part. Uh, yeah, I think it also really depends on what you study. So um, I know that when studying languages, they often come up with more role-playing and sort of games and trying to make it more fun. And I know for security studies, they do a lot of serious games, sort of simulation of what could happen in crisis situations. So I think it very much depends on the program that you're following, um, but it also depends on the teacher. But because I think um, when I talk to a few teachers teaching physics uh, at the university, and uh, in my case, like for my startup, we are now aiming it for kids, but we were wondering if we could do it for like sort of a final year of high school and then first year of university, you know, to make the transition easier knowledge-wise. And um, what I think is that in some um, professors, there is this feeling of, but academic, uh, academic it, it's hard to do. So you sort of have to suffer for it, you know, like, yes, reading this stuff is hard. And I could give you a summary that would explain it just as well. But you have to read it because that's how this works in this um, in this field, you know. So um, I also think that they are, and a lot of um, professors that I've met, well, not in general, but more talking about the game, um, they often say, yeah, but later on in real life, they have to read the material, they have to do it like that. So they, in their maybe sometimes conservative way of thinking, I think they want to prepare for what the job would be like in the future, which is more theoretical based. But again, yeah, I too do not see an issue why it shouldn't, you know, blend together and uh, why it shouldn't be used. And there, of course, there are a lot of faculties that are very much open for um, using games in their educational programs, and they are actually actively working on it right now. So it also depends on the culture per faculty. Okay, it's the year 2030. Everything's very different, or perhaps it's the same, from the way we commute, communicate, socialize, and of course study and you're just about to start a new semester. Perhaps think about your most memorable learning or teaching experience and include that in the story. And also keep in mind, uh, Juliet, you're now a teacher. Try and imagine the future by incorporating your teaching or learning experience and include the subjects you are currently either giving or having a lecture about 
So in other words, paint a picture for us. What does education look like in 2030? What do you see? Marcelo. Hmm. So luckily enough, actually, I'm still a lecturer, it seems. That's the good part. And what I what I would imagine is seeing that I, I don't actually have a specific courses anymore. Um, that would be kind of a continuation of, of what I believe the the, the the thesis system has been in the past, um, where we just kind of have moved much more to a system where uh, people are starting their individual projects, so students are starting their individual projects already at a much earlier stage in their in their uh, education careers, and that has really been a good thing. So generally, my my day to day, so to sp- so to speak, looks like mostly discussions and talking with other uh, teaching assistants. So I think that's also something that only later on has started to grow more, maybe also through many, many years ago, the COVID situation uh, setting in that uh, the whole community aspects needs to be managed in a different way. Uh, And while it has been difficult, I think what has worked really well is the idea of working together with students in order to educate other students, Um, so to speak, in this case, finding the people that have uh, had uh, troubles and issues with trying to understand something and trying to work out something in order to teach other students. And yeah, this is uh, this has made my job much more enjoyable on some level. Um, there are some downsides. I think, uh, would I like to teach in one of those uh, massive, massive classes um, that are going for teaching basic skills? Um, so apparently Introduction to Program, for example, has become a completely automated course that is now automatically graded and uh, no no teacher is even involved in it anymore. Um, but on the other side, at least I don't have to teach it. So, <laughs> so at least on my side, I'm enjoying the experience. Um, students are not so happy about it, but, you know, you cannot always have everything. Uh, but in general, I'm enjoying the, the fact that uh, over the last couple of years, um, there has been a growing sense of, of focusing on individualized skills rather than making sure that a general uh, threshold is met by everyone. And I, I think that's a good trend. I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> I think I know what I want as a student. <laughs> um, but what I imagine it will be, I think that um, in the future we will, I don't know if it will be in 2030 already, but hopefully we will be in sort of the first phase of it or maybe second or third phase of it. But I hope that we will change to a sort of leveling up system um, that in case that if a student is falling behind on one course, he or she can still continue with another or another track. And um, I think schools should also be a bit more free in their program. I mean, it's, it's, I get that people need to have foundational information if they want to be an expert on a certain topic. But I think that we're also boxing in a bit too much. Um, I think that we could gain more from more multidisciplinary research. So I hope that if I'm a teacher there, I would be more in a sort of, um, my role would be more a mentor, helping the students really find their path through everything, every course that they can take and making sure that they are on track and that they are still leveling up. I hope there will be different ways of grading because as a teacher, I no longer want to be sitting and sort of grading papers and whatnot. (laughs) Um, And I hope that my students, especially those who have anxiety or something like that, also have different ways of getting a grade instead of just doing an exam. 
um, maybe um, they um, get the chance to, I don't know, like if you would work with games, there's no way of cheating in a game because if you don't know a skill, you will not pass the level. Um, but that's also a more casual way to test if they actually have the knowledge to either graduate or continue in their course. Um, yeah. I like the incorporation of gaming in a test scenario and also the fact that you can avoid the cheating aspect, I would say is a massive plus, right? So to further give the listener an idea of your 2030 educational experience, I'd like you to include who you're teaching or perhaps working with. I know you've mentioned a few uh, student assistants or something, maybe you're working with other teachers as well or who knows, outsiders that actually don't belong at the university. Um, how do you socialize? Are you social with students? Or do you think that's not the right way of doing that in 2030? How long are the classes? Um, and then with the grading, I know you've touched on that a little bit. How, how are you going to grade the students? Are you going to give out diplomas? Is, is, is there another system that you think in 2030 um, you would like to implement? Maps, it's done and you're the, the pioneer of grading at the, in this new scenario. What do you think? So very, very short question. So you're asking about the utopia situation more so than a future situation. Is that correct? Yeah, go for it. Utopia. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, so in utopia's future, or it, as we are at the moment uh, finding ourselves, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still mostly teaching uh, students very directly as I did a couple of years ago. But now uh, I would say it's becoming more normal that uh, there is also uh, an attempt of, of, of teachers to, to kind of get to know students in terms of what they want to achieve. And that is also a little bit more embedded into the curriculum in a way that uh, teaching assistants need to a certain extent know who they're, um, who they're uh, supporting and, and uh, accompanying, so to speak, through their educational path. Um, on a little bit, I have probably because... Uh, I have many more students now that I uh, supervise personally. Um, lost some of the touch with uh, how each individual student is doing. Um, for that, I have my teaching assistants that kind of help me manage a little bit um, how everyone is doing. It's a little bit more detached from, let's say, individual classes and more coming to a cohort of uh, this is the group of people that we will go through in this case, for example, the master study together. And um, yeah, in some ways that means that my teaching assistants know students maybe somewhat better than I do them. Um, I know maybe mostly my teaching assistants better, uh, but I can trust the fact that they will, uh, so my teaching assistants will know, uh, will have a personal connections to the students that they're supporting. And I need to trust them in that fact as well, which sometimes is difficult. Managing is not always uh, the most enjoyable thing. Sometimes I think back maybe um, that I would enjoy more personal uh, connection, but it will come again probably during the time around when people come to their thesis, when everything comes to a more um, intense period of building a project. Um, so that part I enjoy a lot. Uh, I think the what I also enjoy in general compared to the past is that there is there has been more of a, a um, let's say, a combined effort in creating a university-wide social network. There is still, I think, some talk about trying to set up the network in a way that can touch together with other networks from other universities. 
Sometimes it's working, sometimes it's not working so well, but at least we have our own foundation right now. So um, the days of where we had to um, either rely on very, very old uh, forum software or kind of ask students behind like, ah, oh, do you have a WhatsApp group um, is finally over. Uh, and I think that part works quite well. Um, the inter internal social networks are now more used. Um, yeah, that part is uh, enjoyable. Um, at the moment, how many students do I have? Maybe around 50, 60, 70. It's a bit hard to tell, uh, but um, I'm enjoying the experience, I think. Grades, grades, grades are still given, yeah. Like even in utopian future, I think, um, I, I fail to uh, to think of a future or of a present, I guess, um, that is completely detached from the shackles of the old systems. Um, but uh, grades are finally coming to a point where they're more taken as a as a guideline and more as a as a self information system. So, at the very least, we have come to a point where numbers don't necessarily mean everything anymore. They're just um, taken as a informal part of how do people do how do people do how do they progress uh, and maybe coming back to a certain extent to, to video games maybe video games in general uh, and gamifications I guess also in, in industries have helped a little bit with that because there's only so long uh, until you do not take those levels and, and counters that seriously anymore and just becomes like a little bit of a side information part of of how you're doing um, so yes there's still some of these things there uh, but they are not as oppressive anymore as they once were, maybe. Yeah, I think that um, by now the grading system changed. So uh, I do believe that it's good that we still work with grades because you need something to see how well people are doing. But I think it would have changed. Like maybe if, um, if I give a grade to one of my students, one is for their knowledge on the topic. And then I give a grade on their skills. So for example, writing or presentation uh, and other skills like that. And I think that um, that's a good thing because knowledge of a topic and being able to uh, be a strong writer are two different things. And together with all the other um, teachers, we sort of collect a skills grade. So the skills grade is based on what all the other teachers um, think that uh, based on how they think the student is performing. And then I give an individual grade on how well I think they grasp the topic. And then of course, based on their skills grade, they can take extra classes, writing classes or something like that, instead of having to redo my whole course, just because they are not that good at writing. And uh, I also uh, like that now in 2030, <laughs> we have more open spaces at the university. So it's not, um, solely in classrooms so now we have more open spaces with sort of uh, smaller hops like smaller work rooms where you can meet more in private then we have sort of library corner and you will have a place where people can work together but also a place where people can really work by themselves and what i now do is that if i give my curriculum the goal is that the students will of course, know the topic, they can study at home. And then I have a dashboard to see how well everyone is doing. And if they grasp a topic, there's no need for them to follow a class about it because they've grasped it. So what they do is that they will just walk around the room and they will join the table that is discussing a topic that they are not that good in yet. So my goal 
is more, I'm more a mentor. So I'm walking around and I will chat with students and I will ask, okay, so I see that you're still struggling with these topics. Maybe you can join that table or maybe you can join that intense work group we have later on. And there will be a lot of peer learning as well. So they have to tackle these uh, problems together and they help each other really succeed. And I think socialize, uh, socializing will be based on that as well because um, students are working a lot together on uh, these topics. So online, there are work groups where you can sort of sign in like, hey, I'm working on, um, for, for example, a student might be working in Korea studies, but they are very in, uh, interested in security studies from a North Korea point of view, and they can join study groups for security topics as well. So uh, it's way more fluid in what they can do as long as they have a mentor. And if the mentor is doing it right, um, they make sure that the student still stays on track like and really know what they are doing um, to make sure that they do have a diploma that actually has been building towards a certain job or knowledge base or something like that. Yeah, and I think they will, uh, and wait, no, not I think. Right now, in 2030, <laughs> um, students are working actively on creating their own knowledge base. And based on that, we can see how far along a group is, like if they grasp the topics or if they need more explanation, etc. So it's more, um, a lot of people are working together, but at the same time, there's more focus on individual progress. If I can add to that, maybe that's also a reason why lately we see also many more uh, older people rejoin universities again now here in 2030. Now, if, if the focus shifted so much to um, having it more personalized, I think that's also one of the, the ways how the university was able to um, get a broader studentship by, by um, engaging people back into university when they thought they were done already. So I'm also happy with that environment. And... Um, development in the last couple of years. <laughs> um, your student assistants that you were talking about earlier on as well, um, how long do they work with you? Is that something that you're going to have to, you're going to have to teach and train them like on a yearly basis or do you, how long, how long do they work with you? So my teaching assistants um, uh, work with me at the very least for a year. Um, Luckily enough, there's enough students that also are teaching assistants that kind of gradually stop being students and kind of build the career into um, into becoming lecturers or, or researchers on certain extent. So I think what I enjoy within 2030 is that uh, that there is a bigger separation, I guess you could say, between whether uh, students want to uh, go in an industry or going to uh, go into academia slash um, education. And that separation on some level is necessary or has been necessary in order to 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 really um, figure out what kind of skills they needed, right? And the good part about this is though that uh, at an earlier stage, it already meant um, trying to figure out how to help other, support other uh, students in, in ways of um, trying to understand something or also just to manage something together. Um, and in that case, I think... It helps to, to, to know already at an earlier stage, this is kind of where I want to get uh, to. And uh, with that plan in mind, you can already 
during doing while you might still be a student already take certain responsibilities and those responsibilities kind of grow a little bit and they kind of on some level come and uh, start to develop naturally and over time that also means that uh, during um while st students are still studying there's a certain impact of being already paid by the university even though you are not uh, a master student yet for example or a master graduate or a bachelor graduate um, but it gives you already a certain kind of uh, recognition by the university that uh, your, worth, your work is valuable and um, basically you're transitioning into a job and you're transitioning into a TA position rather than being appointed right at that moment. Obviously, there's still moments of yes or no, um, but much more granular. And that is also what I expect is then also when I see teaching assistants leaving, they're not leaving at the same time necessarily. They're not leaving now because they graduated. Um, they're leaving because they're having other opportunities they can take. But it's much less the case that there now is a, a predefined timing point when they stop. Yeah, I like that. Um, is there any future technology that you see um, that you've uh, included in 2030 um, that you just can't go without? You know, think back when uh, mobile phones were not a thing and now we, we can't live without them maybe VR or AR or I don't know, something that you've invented in 2030 that doesn't exist yet <laughs> that you're going to use because it has to be in education. So interesting enough, I love AR. I have loved AR 10 years ago, but um, I would say the best invention that has come around is uh, personalized uh, assistance in the sense of not only assistance of what do you need to do right now uh, but also helping in terms of what kind of training should you be doing what kind of food should you be eating um, what kind of uh, um, um, like uh, medical compounds should you should you take so to speak in order to help your personal well-being and i think that has been uh, in the past uh, something that people find scary to a certain extent um, but what people in the past didn't really understand is that that uh, uh, impaired personal being is a is a far greater cost than than uh, anything that came from the technology that we tried to invent in order to help that part. So I think for me that the uh, ability uh, of of technology to help you cope with your life stresses and your personal um, challenges is really what what made it so much uh, easier and better for people. To, to kind of um, manage their well-being in a way that is not managed of saying, uh, hang on, but really to flourish and 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 be the kind of selves that they want to be. So, and I think that is the kind of technology that in the beginning when it started, uh, sound and seemed kind of small because it's just about telling you what to do in some level. Um, but it has grown to something that I think is really appreciated. And I, I could frankly not do without it because... Um, the last time I've tried to just kind of plan out how my day should be, that that took quite a while. So having a personal assistant that kind of takes care of that um, is a is a huge help. Yeah, I I I agree, and I think that um, so I think the the biggest um, influence, like the technology with the biggest influence, would be AI, uh, because it really helps to personalize everything. And of course, there are a lot of things we need to discuss first. We cannot implement AI without discussing ethics behind it. Um, but I'm I'm considering that everything worked out fine and uh, we know how we should do with those uh, issues. And I think we can use uh, 
Yeah, so AI is the biggest technology and AI is used to track progress. And based on the progress, the students know exactly what they need in order to get better. And um, based on that AI, they get the, the, the guidance that they need. They get the advice that they need. But what I also think would be interesting from AI is that if uh, I think that in 2030, Right now, we have a sort of Atlas TI. I don't know if you, if everyone is familiar with that software, but we have an Atlas TI on steroids. And um, we can easily check with academic text based on the labels and the markers using AI, how they are connected and where they overlap, and hopefully find parallels between different disciplines that otherwise we would not have noticed. So AI is definitely the biggest technology that we will be using in education right so using that i'm going to add to the 2030 story um a few elements just to shake things up maybe you like it maybe you don't um so due to security changes and constant health outbreaks but also a convenience factor microchip technology by biohacks international is being used on all students and staff and as an additional feature these microchips allow each person to give each other score ratings for example a teacher rates a student on respect or a student rates a teacher on being fair towards him or her and then these social ratings count towards, let's say, 5% of the final grade for the student and 5% towards the teacher's year-end bonus. How do you uh, deal with this added technology? Does it affect your workflow in the future? Um, so the lucky thing is, or what I would consider lucky, in my opinion, is that on some fundamental level, people have always remained quite lazy. and what what seemed like a very strange and 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 i would say uh, a scary thought in in the past when i thought when this technology came in um has really become more of a of everyone is mostly getting the same kind of grades now there's a little bit of a problem with that because on some level individuals are pe uh, penalized with it so there's a, a colleague of mine that um on some for for certain from certain students really uh got very, very negative ratings. Uh, and that, that um, is something that um, really uh, did not help her workflow um, in terms of just kind of going to the class and, and facing these people. Um, but on the, on the large scale, uh, I have become quite used to it, for better or worse, simply because for most people, it's, it's, it has become uh, such an afterthought, I, I guess, where everyone is just getting two thirds of the, the scale, I guess, the rating is up to a 10, so it's about most people have a seven, seven and a half maybe. So the, the ranges are very tiny. And I think part of that is also because uh, luckily enough, uh, when, when the system was introduced, they decided to go for relatively small margins that just keep it at bay, uh, the, the revolution that might have come otherwise. Uh, so I think there's a certain detente that has kind of settled in between um, whether it is actually an extreme impact and whether or not. That said, uh, I see that more and more employers are actually starting to use it more, especially stuff like attendance, um, which I think is kind of bizarre, especially in the kind of uh, university system right now where uh, people are more visiting open places and not always have to be at a given spot. So attendance is already kind of a shaky term uh, to be using. Uh, but yeah, no, no, I think uh, 
the industry is also sometimes slow to change. <laughs> so we'll see if they're, if they're very successful with building on attendance. But mostly me and my colleagues have stopped really giving it much of a thought and it becomes more uh, a default grade that in the, in the most extreme cases is going to be used, but not very often. But do I love it? No, <laughs> definitely not. Juliet, how do you feel about uh, the microchips? Uh, I'm personally not happy with it. I get that. I get why they have it. And I think the social rating, I get why um, they thought it would be a good idea. <laughs> um, but um, although they started implementing it and they were quite hopeful, there has been some discussion not to totally abandon it, but to sort of make sure that it is redesigned in some aspects. Because especially students who suffer from, well, suffer is the worst way to phrase it, but people who, for example, have a form of autism, uh, they find it harder to communicate with fellow students or their uh, teachers. So they get negative grading and they still don't know how to deal with that. And the other thing is that there is a group of people working at the university who are not happy with it because they are focused on their research mainly and they are just teaching on the side because it's part of the job. <laughs> Uh, personally, I love teaching and I want to make sure that my students have the best experience. So for me, it hasn't been that negative because I do use the feedback to improve, but I noticed some colleagues are focused more on their research and they did not have the ambition to be a teacher. They had the ambition to be a researcher. So they do have some problems with it. And I sometimes find it hard to see students who get a bad grade just because, um, their different way of communicating or because they are a bit more shy. So there is has been some active discussion on how to deal with the uh, rating that way. That's an interesting input, especially like the the autism part, like the inclusivity of, of um, students. That could be an interesting um, way of looking at, at the microchip. And I think the question is also, um, and that is something that they have been discussing as well, but it's something that we still need to work on. How do racial stereotypes still influence how we perceive people and thus rate them? It's a challenging one. It's, it's not even one that I think coming from a computer science department, there's always this idea that this is where uh, AI can can kind of help you and, and drag you out of the, the problems of subjectivity, so to speak. Um, but the problem is, of course, that all these uh, algorithms are kind of uh, learning the same biases that we have as a society uh, and kind of basically propel the same problems forward um, yeah. just now with the added benefit of saying, oh, but it's completely objective. So don't you worry. Yeah, I think as long as we still use subjective data to train AI, we will never have objective AI. We only have very racist AI that claims that they can base everything on science. <laughs> Very good point. Very different, uh, yeah, ending to what we're doing now. I want to thank you for uh, your time. Uh, we have come to the end. And um, before we go, I just have one last question. Uh, do you think that uh, anything that we've discussed today, you might actually want to implement now already into your education or teaching? Is there anything, you know, why wait 10 years from now? Is there something that we should maybe consider moving forward that we don't have to wait so long? 
Yeah, and I think um, I, I think the one system that is already starting, at the very least at Leiden University, or at the very least at the Computer Science Department at Leiden University, um, is a move more towards uh, the question of community building, for example, for, for students. How do you, and in this case, of course, it's very much connected to COVID in a sense of how do we deal with it right now. But the benefit of that is, I think, that there is a chance, there is a potential in using that that knowledge in saying, hold on, that has always been important. It has always been important to figure out at an early point, how do you make a, how do you make a educational career and path um, feel important and, and allow through that, uh, give people the opportunity to explore their own curiosities in a way. And that requires building community and that requires figuring out how to um, how to reach people. And I think at the moment, this is already happening. It is, it is chaotic. I don't think it's going always in the, in the direction uh, or in the, in the kind of uh, organization that people would like. But I think that's also almost unavoidable because it's such a quick change in, 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 in what we are used to or what at least many lecturers are used to. Uh, but that kind of break in situation is also what might make change uh, in, in a bigger scale um, actually easier to do or, or, or at least easier to maintain certain aspects that we have now started. And I think to a certain extent uh, that has started with COVID in the sense that I hear many more colleagues now uh, bringing up points as in the well-being of students in terms of their, their home situations, in terms of uh, how they experience education from an experiential level. And that is quite new. I don't think that people are incapable of thinking about it, but now it's much more on the forefront. And I think we can hold on to that and make it a, a, a core value of education. Um, yeah, because we need to get there. We definitely need to get there. Yeah, and I think uh, the one thing that we can change now, although it will require some policy changes, I guess, is uh, the grading. Because I know some students who are not good at writing, so they can they might be failing four courses just because they are lacking this one skill, even though they know everything about the topics of the courses. So I think if we would change the grading and have a grade for how well you grasp a concept versus, okay, this student is maybe not that good at writing and there are six teachers who are picking up on that. And of course, they will get a bad grade for writing, but then you also know what you need to work on for that student instead of, no, they are just not that good in this course. No, they might be very good at the course, but the skill they're not good at is writing. So I think that is something that should be focused on, um, yeah, a bit more. Um, as a lecturer, I, I can say that in my courses, I try as much as I can to to push grading in a direction that I believe uh, helps students. Uh, and I can say as a young lecturer in this case, in terms of not necessarily years, but in terms of uh, experience, relatively young, uh, it has been difficult. I do think that uh, just by the fact of how, how systems have been developed, um, it is difficult to change those systems. So there are certain kind of grades that are given, certain kind of grades that are not given, certain kind of decisions that are made based on those grades. So changing the system is not just a, a, a matter of feedback because the feedback, at least that I got from colleagues, is often of, yeah, we know it's bad, but what are we gonna do about it? There is no, no easy way around that. And I agree with that, there is no easy way. Um, 
But I do think that there might be uh, a need for trying a bit harder. And I'm not sure if that is uh, something that can really be taken out of the hands of lecturers in, in, a, in an organized or like a central way. Because if they do not arrive to this conclusion, they will rebel against that. I mean, lecturers have their own ideas of how things should be done. And change can only be done in this case by changing the minds of lecturers, not by uh, creating a central decision point and saying, oh, by the way, we're now moving to the Swedish system of pass-fail, which I believe is a great system. Um, but that is not how it's going to happen. There's going to be outrage happening. And 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 even also students, there's enough students that uh, I'm fully on board with Juliet here, but I have also witnessed enough students that really have a, a passion for grades and think that uh, this is the way how they distinguish themselves be, uh, among other peers. Um, I think it's 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 a, not the best track for it, but it's not easy to say, uh, we now need to change it and uh, as soon as we have made the decision next year it's going to work I think the the background work that needs to start um, is the important one and it's a, it's a long slog but it's one that has happened and has started already especially with efforts like the um, I'm not sure how old this is but the, the basis qualificatie for on device so the BKO training um, the courses that uh, young lecturers at Leiden University are taking there are really quite good they're really uh, coming uh, up with with ways of how do you how do you use the grade system that is there in a way that that students understand what is happening that it's clear and that they're using it more as a way of of tracking the progress and i think yeah it's it, it will take a while but slowly but surely uh, there is progress happening maybe over 10 years but definitely that that positivity i still have well, on that positive note, I must say that we have come to the end of our three-part series of education in 2030. Thank you again to our guests today, Marcelo Gomez Moreira and Juliet van der Larsen, who allowed us into the creative and imaginative mind process. If you enjoyed this podcast series and would like to be a part of the next one, or if you have a great idea, and would like to get involved in the creative process, feel free to get in touch via the email link in the description. Or why not follow us on social media or even sign up to our newsletter? But for now, this is me saying goodbye. Until next time.